Welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Carla. I am delighted to have Lucas and Victor with us today. Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast. So, Victor, what is contemporary art? Contemporary art is the art of today, which is produced in the second half of the 20th century or in the 21st century as well. It's usually characterized by openness to experimentation, innovation, and conceptual exploration, and also pushing the limits of what art can be, especially with challenging conventions of the past, because compared to art in the past, there were a lot more set rules of what people would expect, and these modern artists are really trying to change the game, trying to make more unique and different kinds of different kinds of art that people would not expect before, which comes with a larger variety and more mediums of art in different ways of expression, such as performance arts and other kinds of things like that, which weren't really done back then. It also has a much higher engagement with social, cultural, political, and environmental issues, addressing topics such as identity, globalization, technology, climate change, social justice, and other contemporary concerns. Instead of just recording history, for example, a lot of contemporary artists try to make artworks that try to make people think about the current issues that is going on, or just the artist's view on the way of things instead. And all of this is mostly considered uh, are on the latter half of the 20th century and the 21st century and with artists that are currently alive today that are making art right now and also has ties to the beginning of modernism. So it's also considered contemporary art because it's its own movement as well that is going off from the previous art that we had. Very interesting. So now, Lucas, who was Christo? How about his wife? Um, <clears throat> Christo, um, he was born uh, to Jewish parents in Bulgaria and Morocco. Um, Christo had a wife uh, named Jean-Claude. Um, they both married in Paris. Um, their work was very large. Um, it had a lot of visual, impre- uh, like visual impressiveness, I guess. And it was very controversial to like society. Um, their work, their work took m- many years, sometimes decades of careful preparation. Um, they had to prepare things such as technical solutions, political negotiations, permitting and environmental approval, hearings and public persuasion. Um, some, something interesting about them is that they refused donations and scholarships and public money that they were offered for their artwork and said they used money made from their own artworks to create their other large um, artworks. Their first show in Colin 1961 showcased three types of artwork for which they would be known as wrapped items, oil barrels, and large scale works. A fun fact about them, uh, when they relocated to New York City, they, tra- they traveled in separate planes just in case one would crash and the other person could continue their artwork ideas, and it wouldn't die off. 
Now that we know more about Christo and Jean-Claude, what are some examples of their pieces of art that they're known for? Um, they're very, they're very known for multiple pieces of art, so, such as the Valley Curtain. Um, in, 19, in the 1970s, they worked on that piece of art called the Valley Curtain, which was an orange curtain fabric that was hung across the mountains of Colorado State Highway 325. Um, funny thing about, about this piece of artwork was that they had multiple attempts. So in their first attempt of mounting the curtain, they failed because of the engineer they hired. So they ended up hiring a new engineer to mount the curtain. Um, they were end they ended up being successful in their second attempt, but in their second attempt, the work only stood for 28 hours because the wind destroyed the current. Um, the Valley curtain was probably one of their most expensive pieces of artwork, which costed approximately about $400,000. They also had another famous artwork called Surrounding Islands, which was um, an idea in the 1980s. Um, the Surrounding Islands was a project that involved surrounding 11 islands in Miami's Biscayne Bay with a pink floating fabric. So as you could tell, they use a lot of uh, like fabric for their artworks. Um, <clears throat> in the Surrounding Islands, um, they reviewed the engineering and environmental impacts for about three years. And this helped them learn about the Bay's protected wildlife, um, allowing them to anchor the fabric. Um, they ended up cleaning 40 tons of waste while doing this project, which is pretty helpful and impressive to the environment. Um, their work also involved lobbying public support and governmental approval and permits, which is why most of their work took a long time to, I guess, become a thing. Um, another famous project they had was the Point Neuf, which was a bridge in Paris. This project was also in the 1980s. Um, they ended up wrapping the bridge of Paris and it kind of was, it took a while because the major of, the, the mayor of Paris rejected a project. But a funny thing about it was that, um, he ended up approving it by mistake because there was like a bunch of papers mixed in his desk and he was just signing them off and without realizing he signed the approval for the for the project even though he didn't want to and didn't agree with it so then he tried um he tried mate like he tried appealing the approval um but then i guess it was too difficult for him to appeal it so he just dropped the case so then, after his approval in 1985, um, Bristol and Jean Cloud wrapped the bridge and it took about two weeks. And, um, somehow this bridge ended up bringing three million visitors to Paris. He also made probably the most important piece that I'm going to talk about, um, in this podcast is the running fence. Um, this is probably the most important piece they've made. Um, it extends east to west near Freeway 101, and it stretches 25, 24.5 miles across California. Um, it's a very big fence, and um, it was secured by uh, poles with 350,000 hooks. So as you can tell, it's a pretty big thing. Um, it was a fence um, made of 200,000 square meters of 
white nylon fabric. Um, this project took probably like it took about three years um, due to like public public hearings and court meetings to get the permits to begin to begin the project. And this is probably one of his most important projects because this project opened many questions on the meaning behind this big, really big fence that no one really knew about why they did it or what meaning it had. Very interesting. Now that we learned more about the creative processes and the different works that Christo um, carried out, what, in order to carry out these pieces of work, it did need a lot of government and um, permits. So how did Christo work with government and private agencies for his constructions, Victor? For a lot of Christo's projects, like running fence, he had to get state-issued permits to be able to carry out this, his plans. And this makes a lot of sense because all of his works are at such a large scale that they are going to have some kind of environmental impact. And it's also going to affect all of the people that are going to see it around the area. And they need permission from the government because usually those kinds of things aren't allowed since it's such a big construction and it's something that's interrupting the area and what they're trying to do. Before his constructions, he would hold various state court meetings, public hearings, and private meetings with people such as mayors to discuss his projects, get approval and permits for how long his constructions can remain standing. And he did this in order to, so that when he has his uh, art pieces completed, he doesn't affect people negatively which is a good thing that he went through all of this so that way it doesn't it doesn't hurt the people or the buildings and he's making sure that he has proper clearance to doing this properly and safely. Okay, perfect. So now that we know more about his different pieces, what do you guys think about these pieces? Do they have a specific meaning to you and do you think that it was worth all of the hassles with the government and state and the citizens themselves in order to actually be able to exhibit these pieces? Um, yeah, I, I feel like these pieces definitely have a meaning behind it. Just we really don't know. I feel like um, the way they like they always made very large pieces. Um, I guess like. They kind of just put the stress upon themselves because they had to always find permits for these uh, pieces. They were always involved with the law for these pieces. But I definitely feel like there's a meaning behind it, especially the way, I guess, their ideas are with wrapping fabric around, um, like, objects like the bridge or using fabric to surround islands. I feel like there's definitely something towards, like, something having to do with what they feel and like their emotions also with the fence fence was like a really big fence it's kind of a like unnecessary but they ended up using that idea and ended up using it as artwork so there's, there probably has to be a meaning behind it yeah and about that i read an article about what they said and apparently they don't like disclosing their 
meaning or purposes behind what they do. So it it feels like it's something like it's this oh it's this big unnecessary thing and so when people see it they get shocked they get surprised they see this big beautiful fabric and uh, i think that's like their intent to get people to stop and think uh when they see this and thinking why to themselves and that's also why they don't want to explain uh their meaning and reasoning behind it as well yeah. yes i also myself believes that the meaning of like opening it to the public also has a greater impact to their pieces themselves which i also find very interesting uh, about christo and jean claude but now moving on from christo what exactly is the research and um, the process and the behind making these art pieces such as christo's three-year-long um projects and plans behind making all of his different pieces but also for other artists who decide to make art lucas uh yeah so um i feel like the process of art is very unique um it's more like a combination uh a vision like it's a combination of vision creativity um i guess like also collaboration as you see an example with uh christo and gene cloud they collaborate uh to show their different techniques um their use of time and resources um it's probably the most effective process available to anyone um it includes um seven arts including line shape space value form texture and color um line is can be defined as a path created by a point moving in space and it's one dimensional um which is something uh we have discussed in chapter one of exploring art um color as you can see um Gene Cloud and Crystal use a lot of different colors in their fabrics, and it's an element of art made up of three properties, hue, value, and intensity. Um, they also use a lot of, uh, I guess, shapes um, in their artwork, and which is an element of art that is two-dimensional, flat, or limited to height and width. As we saw in The Running Fence, uh, there's a lot of height and width having to deal with in the artwork. Um, there's also a lot of texture in art, um, it is concerned with the surface quality of piece of work. So as we saw on the running fence, they used a white, uh, nylon fabric. So yeah, art is a very, I guess, important pro, there's like a very important process when making art or when having ideas. Um, so yeah. Thank you. Now, moving on to artists from the past, we're going to dive into who Michelangelo is and where exactly he was from. So, Victor, who was Michelangelo? Where was he from? Where did he work? And why is he so important? Michelangelo was an Italian Renaissance painter, sculptor, architect, and poet, mainly best known for his fresco paintings and sculptures. He was originally from Florence, Italy. 
He worked in Florence, but also expanded some of his works into different parts of Italy, such as the Vatican City for the famous Sistine Chapel. The works of Michelangelo have shown um, have shown how a man during the Renaissance could expand onto the many different art forms and excel in each skill exponentially. Because of this, he is known to be one of the best artists of not just the Renaissance era, but also of all time, having his artwork still be appreciated and praised to this day. And even back then, which is a fairly rare thing, I believe, he had uh, the his patron being the Pope, um, I believe. And so he was basically paid a lot of money to make this artwork, and he was at the top. Uh, because of because of all of that and all of his paintings having such such meaningful and strong impact with the people and especially uh, the his patrons, he had a lot of resources to use to keep on creating art, and he was able to continually in, improve and just keep on creating it, all of these timeless masterpieces that, uh, of course, are still lasting today and are still appreciated by all who see it. Now that we know more about Michelangelo and Cristo, how is Michelangelo connected to this case study? Uh, Michelangelo could be seen as connected to this case study because, just like Cristo, he took on larger projects and created pieces on more than just one medium. So, Michelangelo would have uh, a lot of sculptures as well as paintings that are on a very large scale, which is similar to Cristo, and uh, these would be placed um, into the view of the public so that people could see it as well. Knowing that Michelangelo had many different art mediums, such as sculpting and painting, one of his main art forms and what he would like to be known as was sculptures. So what exactly is Carrara, Lucas? Um, so Carrara is actually um, very, I guess, famous type of marble. Um, it's Italian, um, and it's a marble that could have a gray background with a light gray uh, veining. Um, the stone could also be found in tons of blue gray with more soft and feathery patterns um, in his type of piece of artworks. Um, the marble is named Caro for the region of Italy that it comes from, and it's usually the cheapest type of marble that one can use, which is probably why um, he would use it since he made really big projects that cost a lot of money. Um, and it's been seen in very different um, amount of sculptures of Michelangelo and so one of his sculptures, Michelangelo's David sculpture. So yeah, this was probably a very important um, marble used in art. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us so much today, Lucas and Victor. I appreciate it. This concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon and remember to stay curious.